Thanks for listening to CarCast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Jeremy Parrish from the Retronauts Podcast, a show about classic video games. We're exploring gaming's history every week. We talk about classic video games and how the medium's past feeds into the industry and culture of today. Want to know more about the people who made Destiny? What's the story behind Mario? And yes, we even explain why they call it Final Fantasy when there's 15 of the things. From arcade classics to the latest retro releases, Retronauts covers it all. Subscribe to us on iTunes or right here on the Podcast One Network. Listening to Retronauts won't help you build your gamer score, but you'll rock at bar trivia. My favorite podcast of the week. That's right. It's CarCast. I'm Adam Carl. It's Matt the Motorator over there at the Andrea. Hey, how are you? John Bothwell is here. He's uh, partners in uh, Persang, Argentina. I'm in. This is one of those. So you're sitting around, you're going, Persang? What the hell is that? And then you say, <laughs> uh, they make the beautiful recreations of the uh, pre war Grand Prix cars. And I've always heard back. Talking with Leno, looking at his Bugatti from, I don't know, 1929 or 20, whatever, Bugatti. He said, he said, oh, it's from Argentina. No, they make, there's guys over there that do just, just yeah. rivet for rivet recreations of these. And they're turning into their own thing. Good to see you, John. Good to see you. Great to be here. Sounds like a lot of work. After yeah, looking at Leno's car, it seems like like it's a simple car with a lot of work. My God, you have no idea. <laughs> but it's great. Well, I, I, I love... I love the time we're living in because I, I think it's a little bit of, you know, kit cars, recreation cars, clone cars. Back in the day, it, was meant, it had a VW power plant and, yeah. you know, it was on a bug chassis and it had a fiberglass thing on it. It had to be in, like, kit car, mag, kit car magazine. Called the Coyote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sprayed like a drag boat. <laughs> and I, you know, I love this idea of... And and I'm perfectly down with it, and 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 I like the idea of of actually creating not a version but a clone, like yeah. a, like a DNA nut and bolt clone exactly. of of that car. And sometimes you hear about these highfalutin celebrities, and they have a five or eight million dollar brooch or something, and they get a recreation yeah, made yeah, yeah. for a hundred grand, and then they wear that out. They're still going to get punched and robbed, but this way the robber. But they'll have something called satisfaction when they're laying on the ground bleeding. But, you know, with all the vintage racing and the price of these crazy cars going through the roof, I sort of like the idea of getting the nut and bolt recreation from Persang and going out and racing that while the actual... I would sanction it this way. I would say... I will let you into Monterey or wherever, whatever classic race you want to do. I will let you into it with your nut and bolt recreation, but there's two things. The car cannot have a technological ad- advantage over yeah. its predecessor, and I need to know you own the real car, own the real <laughs> and it's sitting somewhere. <laughs> I, but I feel like your clients, though, are not the people who own the real one and the fake one. They have to can't afford the real one, so they got to get the Fake yeah, one. you know, I right. think don't use the word fake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of N- knowing what to call these is a really tricky thing yeah. because there are so many different categories of replicas. You know, you've got the really shitty ones that are like the fiberglass VW thing, and then you've got you know on the other end of the the spectrum, like the tool room copy, which is a nut and bolt thing, which starts with trying to replicate the the technology and the build process, and not just the the look of the end product. But uh, to speak to your question. 
you know, it's, it's, I guess, intuitive that you would think, well, with any kind of replica, regardless of what, what sort it is, it's going to be for the guy who just can't afford the real thing. And um, interestingly, most of our clients are people who have the real cars, and they're buying these because it's guilt-free driving, basically. Uh-huh. Do you, when, when you well, make, like Leno. Yeah. Leno's yeah. got a few of the real and a few of the tribute cars. We don't call them fake, like a band. <laughs> He's got tribute, a pair. They're not cover band. They're, they're not tribute cover band. band. Tribute band. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when cover band used to be a thing, and now tribute band is the thing, and you feel yeah. like you could spend more money on tickets? Like, <laughs> like in Vegas, they have... You know, Beatles tributes and Vegas well, tributes, but they I'm, don't have like. If you want to hear a Van Halen song done better than Van Halen, go see the tribute <laughs> band. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, go ahead, John. Do people that, uh, well, when you build the cars, do you have to have an original one for you to make? the new ones when we do a car for the first time it would it would be um conditioned on having original factory spec and also an original example to reverse engineer and if you try to do it with one or the other you're going to have you know less than desirable end results so because it seems like i mean if you had an original car and you i don't know what your process is maybe you some photograph them measure them laser scan them mm-hmm. do whatever given the the age of these things no two cars can actually be the same, right? So right. when you start coming up with the process of making your new cars, there's got to be some kind of consideration in going, well, maybe on the original car, this was off a little. We need to fix it here. Yeah. How do we make it so we can do five of these or eight of these or however many you guys do? Yeah, we, we try to just stick to, like, the important stuff, like the castings, you know. So, I mean, the, the engineering spec for, say, chassis, drivetrain, all the aluminum castings, the engine block, all that kind of stuff is one size fits all. Even then, there's a degree of autonomy car to car because, you know, all these things are hand fit. You know, you have a block that, that is on top of a, a crankcases and two pieces that's lapped together. There's no gasket. I mean, so everything is fit and finished by hand. But I think that the real differences car to car that you see typically just come from the, the Grand Prix era where they just drove the shit out of these things and smashed them up. And, you know, and then you take this off and put it on that car and you just kind of cut this thing off the body. But if you look at enough photographs, you you can kind of see like, all right, this is how they were leaving the factory as far as the body contour. Um, for, for the other things, though, you know, the, the castings um, and all that type of thing, it's like, well, here's the drawing. Here are some originals, and they all have this thing in common. So this is the spec that is the factory spec. How long? So I, I like that the, all of this, you know, um, Singer and, and Mole and and I love that there's this whole secondary industry or this weird thing going on where people are producing bespoke stuff or doing what Singer does. An appreciation for stuff, the craftsmanship, the artistry of, of things that I, I don't know that there was a market for this stuff 10 years ago. It didn't seem to be like, you know, guy took a Porsche. He should have left it alone. It was worth yeah. more when it was a 73 911S. Yeah. Now, now you got your crap all on top of it. Right. Well, now people appreciate it. Because I think what people appreciate is if it's done right, it's done right. And and I feel that way with you guys. I feel that way with Singer. I feel that way with Mole. I feel like there's, there's always going to be value there as long as the, the quality is there but do you see this first off is computers opened up the that you know in the past you'd have to source an engine for a 917 because if you couldn't source an engine for a 917 you couldn't build a 917 and the engines are super expensive and super rare and good luck are we at the point now where we could build an engine for a 917 
from scratch? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, we, we build engines for things a lot more complex than that. <laughs> so Really? Give us a give us an example of more complex than a, like a Porsche 917. Oh, God, like a Mercedes SSK motor. It was the, the last engine designed by Ferdinand Porsche while he worked for Mercedes. And, I mean, it's just the, the tolerance spec inside the thing is half of any of the French or Italian cars from the same period. I mean, it just screams of, you know, like a German neurotic engine. What is the engine? That, yeah, give us that engine. Inline, layout. inline six, seven liter, um, supercharged, but not like the Alphas or the Bugattis. It's a, it's a manually engaged supercharger, so it's got its own clutch. I mean, it's got a clutch pack that's oh, more it's got complex. Road than, than, wow. Yeah, yeah, road road warrior. Warrior. Yeah. Get that blower on. Yeah, get that, hit the blower button. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Chuck Norris had a truck that had that, too, and he like, jumped out of a huge hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's like that. You, you, can, you can hit the supercharger for like 10 seconds before the engine blows. So Wow. Oh. And so you... you Build that thing from scratch. Scratch, yeah. I'm guessing it's an iron block. Cast iron block, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, where do you How even... many do you have to make before it becomes cost-effective? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, at our factory, no, we've, got, we've got, like, <laughs> tables that are made out of the blocks that didn't work out until we, you know, got it right. And, you know, like the Bugattis, they're so narrow, the block is only, like, four inches wide. And you've got, you know, lubrication passages, water passages, cylinders and all that. And, I mean, you've got, like, paper-thin walls to get those patterns right. There was a lot of trial and error. But, you know, once you get the pattern perfected, then you're just off and running. What year is the engine originally? Like For, what? for a Bugatti? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was originally engineered in 1924, and then it kind of hit its heyday in 27. I love, we're looking at a picture, I love the head on that thing. I just... I just that's what I thing I remember most about that is just that squared off aluminum head. Um although I'm a sucker for that. I love it on Jags. I I, I that, it always uh, by the way, you always want to know why I don't like uh, American engines. The, the <laughs> stamped valve cover that was just on each side with yeah. the cam in the middle, it always bothered me. Yeah. I'd look at I'd look at Anything Alfa Romeo with the two with the plugs going down the middle, the Jag with the plugs and the big fins and the yeah. big aluminum and everything. Yeah. And Ours. then I'd go look at a small block Chevy and see these stamped on things on the side. I'd go, "What is this?" It's it's amazing it that me. that the muscle car engines are so popular and they're efficient and they work well. And then did they just look at engines like this, like these Bugattis and Mercedes, and go, "Well, this is clearly over engineered. We can make more power with a lot less." A lot fewer issues. I, I'm not I, sure I, what the reasoning behind all of it was. Like, it seems like that's an incredibly yeah. complex engine. I mean, simple to us now, but back then, super complex. Right. How did it get to that point? Like, what were these guys thinking going, you know, this is the only way it can happen? Or was there a manufacturing process where they said, tight tolerances are the only way we can do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, remember in, in 1924 when the Type 35 came out, um, Ettore Bugatti had only had one other successful car, which was a Type 13 Brescia. And he, he was really a genius. Like everything he did, he did right the first time. You know, he didn't – there wasn't like, oh, you have all these different cars like Ford. You know, you have the Ford AA, the N, the R, the S, and then finally the T worked. Um, Ettore was not that way. So – with this car, he went up against the the norm in the day, which was huge displacement, T-head four-banger that's kind of straddling the front axle up really high, horrible weight distribution, zero handling ability with wood artillery wheels. That was the status <laughs> quo. And then you get this thing. For weight. It's weight saving. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like having a 15-liter engine, it's a straight-eight 2.3-liter 
with little tiny pistons, and the engine is part of the chassis, so it's really low in the frame. Um, the front axle's hollow. It had the first alloy wheel of any car with integrated brake drums to keep them cool. Like everything on this car was a fuck you to everything that car builders were doing up until that point. It was an expensive car. Hold though, on, right? was that it? We had a picture of it. I don't think that was it. Well, that's the Brescia. That would be his first car. And uh-huh. it's, it's called the Brescia. It's actually the Type 13 called the Brescia because he took five of them to the Grand Prix of Brescia in 19, gosh, it was sometime in the late teens. And he came home with first, second, third, fourth, and fifth place trophies. Wow. So I don't know much about uh, Bugatti the man. I know that it's kind of an interesting thing, and, and I love it. The Bugatti was around, then they were gone, then they came back with that crazy four-turbo car was that a 16 or something or i can't remember if it was a 12 or 16 yeah. remember the bye bye turbo or whatever it is that came back in like the 90s or early 90s or something and then they that kind of went away again the and now 110 yeah, yeah now the bugatti veyron right um uh, so and the new one what's the new one the chiron the, sh- the chiron yeah chiron? oh chiron yeah i yeah. don't even know but i love the idea that the name's like I, I love the idea that people realize that there's value in a brand and a name, and many years now. Again, like Ferrari's Ferrari, but Ferrari never went docile for a number of years. I right. and I'm not a historian, but Bugatti was gone for mm. a long time, right? And then that's came right. Back. How long were they gone for? Well, you know, I, I guess if you really want to get down a brass tax would be one thing, but I look at it sort of like the Type 35 Bugatti was the last car he did, and that was sort of the, at the peak of the company. And what was happening at that point was it the is, late 20s? Yeah, 1927 is when that car came out. And then he was trying to keep up with the Alphas and the Mercedes, but the thing is is that Germany and Italy were subsidizing their guys, and France was giving nothing to a Tory. So he kept reintroducing new cars, but they were just sort of half-assed reinterpretations of the Type 35, and the company kind of went under shortly thereafter. So I'd say, like, technically it fell out of the family's hands, I think, I think in the 50s. I don't even know. But the, the, the thing is is that the 35 was such a monumental success, and after that, it tapered off so quickly that it's just kind of like, you know, a blur at that point. I wonder what the value of the four-turbo reintroduction of the Bugattis are now. I can't, uh, you know, it's weird. It's a weird place we're at in car collecting where there's a lot of modern Ferrari or, quote, you know, Ford, uh, Ford <laughs> Ferrari F50. Yeah. I was say Ford F one fifty. That's a big difference. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're turbo now. So, <laughs> what if somebody said, "Hey, you you had a relative you didn't know he uh, died, leaving you a uh, F- Ferrari F fifty? Oh, sorry. I mean, Ford, Ford F one fifty. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, we just dropped two point seven million dollars <laughs> for that one thing. Um, but the <laughs> there's a big difference between someone dying and leaving you F one fifty in a. F fifty, but they, like, no, I'm not greedy. I'll take what I can. The F fifty is kind of a modern car, and it's three million bucks now, or whatever yeah. it is. I don't know what that Bugatti is now. And show me a picture of the latest, because I didn't even know there was a latest Bugatti. But uh, the Chiron. Yeah. Will Chiron? you guys C-H-R- build R I R O N C H I R O N? Will you guys build? You know, if somebody like. Um, Ford, we'll get back to, uh, we'll take my two things I like. We'll take the uh, overhead overhead cam. Ford had a couple of, like, big block 
429s or something that had the overhead cam or something, just a handful of those, yeah. really hard to get, really hard to find. Can you make something like that? Do, do you get requests for things of that nature? Yeah, you know, uh, people request all kinds of stuff, and, and there has to be like a correlation between the value of the original and the, the R&D cost. Because, you know, you, you get into reverse engineering something, you know, developing all the engineering, having all the tooling made, having a guy making patterns out of wood, and then having those castings uh, poured and then machined and then the engine assembled. I mean, it's a lot of money. So if you're not talking about something that's already worth several hundred thousands of dollars, right. you know, and, and you're saying, you know um, – this this is a motor that I'm going to sell for 150 grand because if if you can source an original it would be over a million right kind of thing right. then it, then it works out but, sure right you know it's like building uh you know guys sometimes they come to me and they, they say hey can you build this car I say well hey you know you can get an original for like 200 grand it's going to cost you more to have a, another one made so this is where the the replica thing doesn't pan out yeah what's the value of a Bugatti Type 35 these days. Do you know, like an original Bugatti? Oh, it's in the millions. It, it really has to do with how original. It's a lot they are. of history too, like yeah. where if it has a lot of history, yeah. right? There's a, there's a really broad spectrum of that because it can be a car like, oh, this has an original chassis and everything else was replaced at some point. Or well, what kind of price points are your? Well, what's the average? Give us an average on the original. An Bugatti. original. Uh, I'd say if if it's got an original chassis and any kind of racing history, it's going to be you know the floor would be two million, and it could, I, I'd say two to five depending on significance. Right, and so what can you guys do one of yours for? Two thirty. Two thirty. Two hundred thirty thousand. And is it's the situation where you put a deposit down mm-hmm. and you wait a period of time, and are you guys backlogged? And how does it work? Yeah, it's 30% deposit, and then we spec out the car together. We take another 30% installment when it's about halfway done, and the balance when it's finished. Um, we've got uh, about 90 guys full-time at our plant, mm-hmm. which means that each car takes us only about two months to build. But wow. delivery time depends on how many other people are in line. So right. Like- and now, uh, uh, the aforementioned uh, singer and all these guys, Mole and stuff like that, these cars are going to start having their own marketplace and their mm. own value. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of your product selling, selling for more, selling last, selling at auction. Yeah, I get asked this all the time. And um, I've noticed that in the last five to seven years, I, I think our cars are coming into their own as far as a collector's item. Um, so it's not uncommon, you know, to see these things uh, get close to, to flirting with like 300000 on the used market. Yeah, uh, and it, it may be because of the collector item sort of uh, status that's been bestowed upon them, but it's also the case that when you're having something custom made and you're waiting for it, versus something that a guy can hand you the keys for and you can drive off in today, right. you know, there's a certain appeal to the, the ability to be impulsive about it and have it now. No, I I completely agree. It's um, the you know I I literally had this uh, conversation. About uh, I was having this conversation last night with somebody, but I've said talking about building a house and doing modular type building, and uh, he said, uh, "Well, the price per square foot is you know about the same as as custom house building. You don't really save anything square footage, but it's a lot faster." And I said, "That is." That's the commodity, right? And he was like, "Yeah, but it's the same price." I said, "No, it is, it's cheaper." And why? 
because it's twice as fast. And it's like, yeah, but it's the same price. I would go, yeah, but for me, <laughs> yeah. I got money. I don't have time. And right. so if you can tell me I'll give you a house in one year instead of two years, but it's the same price. It won't be the same price if it's the same price. Right. That extra year of moving into that house, that's huge. And and, and, it, and it has a, a value. Yeah. And by, by the way, if you're a rich guy, it could be a million dollars or whatever it is to you. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll tell you guys. Oh, speaking of rich guys, rich uncles, man. I'm a big fan of rich uncles. They're, uh, a re- they're a real estate investment trust. Uh, I invested with these guys. I'm getting cash dividends as we speak. Lots of our listeners have as well. And uh, they're uh, checking for interest in a proposed REIT for student housing. So here's how student housing goes. The uh, parents pay for it. It's simple. So we get rich uncles get in there. You get in there and imagine all those kids and all those colleges and all that rent money coming in. Rich uncles plans uh, on buying facilities for uh, students at major colleges and universities. And you can get in on the ground floor, man. So go to richuncles.com if you want to express a little interest in uh, Rich Uncle Student Housing Read. It's a reggae tier two offering. It's Rich Uncles. Or you can give them a call. 855-RICH-UNCLES. That's 855-RICH-UNCLES. Rich Uncles, man. Rich Uncle Student Housing Read is seeking indications of interest concerning its Reggae Tier 2 securities offering. Any indication of interest involves no obligation or commitment of any kind. No money or other consideration is being solicited. And if sent in response will not be accepted, no sales will be made or commitments to purchase accepted until the offering statement is qualified. This media outlet is being paid under $15,000 by Rich Uncles for this single message. All right. Enough about John. What about me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? What about me? I got my trophy. You did. In the mail. There it is. Yeah. Third place Trans Am. Yeah, professional Trans Am Presented race. Presented by Pirelli. Yeah, look at me. I bet you thought your name was going to be on it. Well, I did think my name was going to be on it because they handed me a trophy up on the podium, and yeah. then they said, uh, give it back. And I said, uh, no. Right on my, and I ran serpentine <laughs> all the way back to L.A. Uh, they said, uh, well, I said, why do you need it back? He said, we got to engrave it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're like, I like that. C-A-R, not C-O-R. They engraved it at Willow Springs, March <laughs> 26. That's what they engraved. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll so, get a Sharpie and put my name on it. You know what's, you know what's funny is uh, I walked outside my apartment the other day, and there was one of these same trophies in a box. There's another one. I have one at home. Oh, you got one? Yeah. Why do you get one? It's got one? my name on it. No, it doesn't. Get oh, it's going to be pissed. <laughs> they give us two? I think I think somebody was just being nice. They're just sent, being nice. Yeah, just sent some yeah. trophies over. Well, now it has, yeah. Buy one, get one. For has less thing. value. Apparently, yeah. apparently, everyone can get one now. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I like it. Check it out. It's a cool looking trophy. You know what? I, I, I don't uh, really know what it is. It's some sort of like Thor weapon. Like what's that planet he's from? Uh, it feels like that. Uh, Astard. <laughs> yes. That guy's. Uh, <laughs> that's where his Thor's brothers from. Yeah. It's called. I think it's called Ass Clown. <laughs> ass Clown know. or Astard. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm not a comic book guy. I think it's Ass Clown. It's definitely. Yeah. Now, I will say this about the trophy. It's got a little heft to it. And I need a little heft in a trophy because there's nothing worse than the stamped plastic one, speaking of bad replicas, and you go, oh, that's cool. It's got the fake hollowed out tube with the wood veneer on it and then the plastic this and that. And you grab it and it almost falls over because it's so light, like it doesn't even fit in your hand. And you pick it up and your arm goes up. You're like, oh, now it doesn't feel like you did You know, like when you get the gold statue and it's just plastic, you feel really let down. And also your mind is telling 
your bicep, oh, this is going to be a little bit of weight here, and then your bicep goes up because it looks like a solid piece of metal. Yeah. Uh, I will uh, I will take it. As you guys listen to this, they're running the second leg of the... Fontana Auto Club Speedway. Yeah. I, I'll not be driving because I don't have enough money for it, but maybe the third stop in Portland... I always I want to drive at Portland. Maybe Portland. I hear it's a really good track. Coda would be cool too. Coda would be cool too. So I want to say those dates are like end of July and beginning of November. Yeah, something about right, something right? in there. So if we can pick up some sponsorship dollars or something, get uh, back out there. I would definitely get back out there. I like driving that uh, Corvette. That's what happened. You, we knew you'd get the bug in the new car. You know, there's something about the fast modern technology. Once Just the out. shifting. <laughs> I'm in love with the sequential shifter, and I'm in love yeah. with the. I, I love it. It reminds me of the motorcycle days. You know, I was like, "What's the one down, five up?" You know, yeah. like it was just it was easy to do, just up and down. You know, none of these stupid age patterns all turned around. I, I I knew that would be the thing. And actually, a couple weeks ago, I was I was here on the weekend. I was working on the car, and uh, you came into the garage, sat down, drank a beer, and you're like. What would it take to put a sequential shifter in some of my race cars that you have now? Yeah. <laughs> We're like, well, anything's possible. Yeah. It wouldn't be that bad. I don't think. That's cheating, man. I would never do that. By the way, it's not a even bad if idea. I had a couple of beers, I don't remember saying that out loud. <laughs> I was thinking it the whole time I was driving that vet. Do you have any of that vet? Do you have any of the uh, interior of that vet? It's so nice. Just a nice big stick shift in the middle of the car. And you didn't have to... Well, the, I, actually, when you jump into a new car, your biggest concern is probably shifting. It's yeah. probably the pattern, uh, whatever, however, whatever it is. If it's a Porsche and the engine's in the back and you got the linkage, if it's an American car or Datsun or whatever, and it's just coming right out of the transmission, right in the middle there, like whatever the nuances of that stuff is, yeah. that's always the trickiest part. <laughs> I, I drove, uh, I've been working on your M3 and I drove it over to. Uh, to a friend's house to work on it, and we walked inside. He said, are you going to lock it? I was like, nobody can take nobody that can car. Nobody can take that car. One, yeah, it's the- a stick. Two, the clutch takes two feet to press down. It's like, that car has built-in anti-theft. And it's got a short shift kit into it. The short shift kit is basically like somebody just took a slipper, it balled it up, and mashed it up under the <laughs> under the stick shift from down below. Like it just yeah. feels like ah, you're just pushing against one thing and like pulling yeah. against something else. It's, it's well, the hardest. I'll ever. tell you what happened with the M3 this week. And first, let me tell you about Audible. Audible.com, the pre- premier provider of digital audiobooks. Actually, your books are up there. You can listen to your books. Yeah, you should get my books because they're totally different than my. Written books because I get reminded of something and I go on a long riff about it and it's not even in the books you, and I can't read very well. You so. read all of your books, so like when people listen to you on Audible, it's you. It's me, except for like I said, it's very different it's not than like the Patrick actual Stewart book. reading. In fifty years, we'll all be chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, he begged, but I said no. He said no. Sorry, shove okay. off. Yeah. Oh, they have titles in every genre. They have thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. You can play it on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, and more than five hundred devices for listening anytime, anywhere. And for our listeners, CarCast free audiobook download and a free thirty-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out any of the books. You can get Adam's book for free, I guess. Yeah, man. To download your free audiobook today, go to audible, audibletrial.com slash Corolla. That's audibletrial.com slash Corolla. 
It's C-A-R-O-L-L-A. There you go. There you Just go. Just read the trophy. It's yeah. right there. For the for the interior, uh, the best I have are, are is like the helmet cam footage or the, the in-car footage with any of the... In-cars are fine. Um, the, uh, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, I got used... Yeah, it's nice Nice driving a, a modern a modern car. Uh, now back to uh, old cars. Oh, there it is. Um, it's, uh, see, it's got the stick shift, right... It's right by the little, there. like, drink tube. Yeah, there it is. The drink the tube, by the way, which I thought for practice and qualifying was a hydraulic. <laughs> 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 I kept looking at it because they, what they did is they have a sway bar adjuster, right? Yeah. And um, the sway bar adjuster is a cable, and it's a, it's, a, it's a red knob thing, and you adjust the sway bar. Um off the back of it, they just put a nipple, like they just took the bolt out and just put a nipple on the end of it, and that's where they, that's the keeper for the drink hose, because it was kind of an endurance race, or sometimes when they do in the endurance races, they got the drink hose there. Now, the whole time I was looking at the car, no one ever told me what that hose was, and yeah. because it goes right to the back, as you can see, to the sway bar adjuster, I was like, this is a super modern car that got a hydraulic sway bar adjuster in this thing. <laughs> but it looks like it's low on fluid. <laughs> they got to bleed this bad boy. <laughs> I just remember thinking, how's a sway bar adjuster work? And then I remember went like, oh, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. And then at some point, the guy who owned the car was like, you got to pop this thing off and drink out of it. And I was like, I'm not drinking that brake cleaner. <laughs> that's brake fluid. I'm not going to drink yeah. that. Or hydraulic fluid. I don't know what that's like, no, in there. It's like, no, that's the, we keep the water thing on there. And I I was like, oh, okay. So then during the yellow flag. That sounds dirty as. I started pulling the yellow flag, you know, you do this thing and it like, and hit the button on the steering wheel, you know, it drives a windshield wiper pump and it starts pumping. But what they don't really tell you is when you pop it back on, it doesn't shut off. It just keeps bleeding and dripping (laughs) everywhere. And then you're racing the car and then you get back to the race. And I kept looking at it going, it's still going. It's still going. It's going to make a mess. But uh, that's why they only put water in it. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Max Pata. Uh, do you want uh, questions? Yeah. What do oh, we yeah. What do we got? Yeah. Got of course. Any and if, if any of you want, oh, I thought it was going to be. Mo- I thought you were showing video. I oh no, I, it was going to cut to another angle. So I just I just want to show you the oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, if you want to write into the show and ask questions, just go to carcastshow.com, fill out the contact page. This one comes from Micah. He's from Corona. Uh, video of the shift though. The <laughs> the oh, like the helmet cam. I don't know. Just the video of the ship. You you have the like three seconds of how that car shifts is what I was basically saying. You turn left to go right. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's it's a lot like the paddle shift. shifters, but there's just a lever. You just bang it forward and back, and that's it. I kind of like it. I, yeah, I, it's kind of I even better than uh, paddle, though you got to take your hand off. And I did the clutch because eh, why not? Yeah, it's just in the habit of it, you know. Like you said, it's a little easier on the car that way. Yeah, the yeah. guy who owned the car so yeah. it's a little easier on the yeah. car if you push the clutch in when you do it. And I said, all right. Oh, your M3. I, I didn't tell My you. My M3, the yeah. So the M3, we, we did all this mechanical stuff to fix it. Like, it needed water pumps and needed new fans. What and What is that, an E46? It's an E46. It's like a 2001. It's like the first year of an E46. And... It, it's you know you got twelve thousand four hundred miles twelve thousand two hundred miles so you must have drove it for like a year year and a half and then I you drove it for about a year yeah it was my daily driver 
and I then, ordered it at a BMW dealer in like Glendale. I remember going, uh, I want moonroof delete. And the guy's like, everybody gets the moonroof. And I'm like, yeah, that's why <laughs> that's I'm going why moonroof, call it moonroof delete. delete. <laughs> he's like, it's our most popular option. I go, I don't want the moonroof. And there's like, why wouldn't you want the moonroof? It's like, I don't want a whole bunch of weight at the highest point of the car. I want moonroof delete. Oh, okay. And I said, I want cloth inserts in the seats. Everybody gets the leather. I said, that's what the cloth inserts. I don't know why everyone gets the leather. I said, the moonroof delete. I'd like the cloth inserts in the leather. And I'll take the, the manual five or six. Six. Yeah, six? Six the manual six, yeah. not the paddle. And now there's a million units with the paddle and the moonroof moon and the leather seats. And I feel like this car's a little unique because I don't know how many of those things are moonroof delete. Good there's luck. One. There's one. Good luck <laughs> finding one that doesn't have that horrible big glass sheet on top of their sports car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, sorry. So God. you took it to get some modifications done to it. And then that shop was terrible. And they yes. turned it into like an R&D car. And, uh, you know, it's got suspension and big brakes, which are good. The Brembo brakes are great. The wheels are great. Suspension's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's cockpit adjustable suspension, which doesn't work still to this day. It's got the water hose hooked up to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, it's got the supercharger on it. Oh, we're right? looking at a picture yeah, of it right now. Yeah, that's a picture of it in yeah. the shop. We had it uh, detailed. We it's, had it clean. It's midnight and, blue, by the way, which is yeah. really nice on that car versus it looks black in the picture. But when you take it out in the sun, it's a uh, midnight blue. But uh, yeah, go ahead. So you had it. And then I don't I don't know how long that shop had it for. It seemed like forever. And then you got it home and it just never ran right. Like right. They just couldn't, you know, it overheated. It, it was yes. throwing codes. Yeah. So we found that the radiator there, they welded on their own like end caps to the radiator. And when you look in the hole where the hose attached, which you would never think to do because there's a spout, you know, the, mm-hmm. the lip comes out a couple inches. You never think to look into that. Half the hole was covered with the radiator <laughs> inside. Right. You know, yeah, so it was, yeah. so getting half the flow. Right. And then, I don't know, he cut something out of the thermostat housing. There's a piece in there, like a, like a valve or a, a brake, and, and replace that. And mechanically, it seemed all better. Mm-hmm. Also, the, the the supercharger belt was rubbing against one of the radiator hoses. At idle, you don't notice it, but when you hit the gas, you know, on the the uh, a little. the idler pulley is like spring loaded on a lot of serpentine belt cars. Yeah. and once that spring kicks in, it starts cutting a hole through the through the water. The only good memory <laughs> I have of that car now, <laughs> and when I dropped it off to the asswipe that worked on it, I said, "Hey, man." This is my everyday driver, so don't go too nuts. And six years later, I had to drag it out of his <laughs> shop and just go home and lick my wounds. But um, one time I got it right after, like, the first supercharger or something was on it. And I was driving home from Van Nuys, and I was on, like, Burbank Boulevard. It was like a long stretch of open whatever. And I just said, all right, let's get into this thing and see what it feels like. And I was in second gear and probably, like, redlined it in second gear and went into third gear. And I passed a motorcycle cop who was on Burbank Boulevard. And there's just like two ca- there's cars just parked on the street. And they were like six feet apart. And he just backed himself right in between the front bumper and the back bumper. He just backed himself right in. And 
when I passed him, I was going 90 or 85 or something, and I, I just, out of the corner of my eyes, like, oh, God. I just, like, I saw him coming. I was probably about 40 feet when I saw him, and yeah. I was like, I, this is this He is heard you because the exhaust on that car is terrible. I just opened it wide open. And and I, I literally just pulled myself over. It's the first time <laughs> I'd ever just called it a day. You know, I just, I just pulled over because I knew that's all he was there. He was there to bust guys for going, you know, 44 and a 35, but yeah. I was doing 90. I just pulled right over. And he sure enough was on that bike and right behind me and came up to me and you know had his attitude was pissed off whatever, and uh, I said uh, so he said uh, you know how fast you going and what's going on and blah 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 and then he just paused and he goes uh, where'd you get that hat and I said uh, uh, I don't know uh, because at the time and even now people just give me hats they give me hats from their show, from their sponsors to the, the, you know, the cars, whatever it is. And I just go home, throw them down or whatever. And then I'll just grab one, put it on and leave the house. I don't know if it's a New York Yankees hat or Joe Coy's podcast hat. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I just grab a cap and I leave. Right now I'm wearing a hat. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> it says something on yeah, it, right? Yeah, it's like a WT thing. Uh, M M Fit. Okay, I'm just here. I'm, yeah. I'm making a, it's a this, nice hat, but I don't know. This is a perfect came. example of my hats. I have no idea what's on my hat right now. So this guy said, uh, "What's on that? What's with the hat?" And I was like, uh, "For some say like fuck the LAPD or something." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Let me look." And I took it off, and it said LAPD right on it. And I was like, "Ooh, yeah, this is good." And he goes, "Where'd you get the hat?" And I said. I do a little charity work, but I don't really want to, you know, that's not why we're here. <laughs> He's like, uh, that's not why we're here. We know why you're here. You pulled yourself over. Charity work. And I go, listen, I have a couple of golf tournaments, you know, stuff, stuff like just try to get back to the community yeah. a little bit. You know, that's all. That's all. And he's like, yeah, really? Why don't you tell me some of these stories? And I was like, oh, what happened is that some guys... <laughs> Some cops came into the radio station to, like, plug their charity event or something. I never went to the charity event, but uh, I gave them a plug, and they threw a hat down. Like, hey, here's a hat, like what everyone does, except for no one else wears them. I wear them, yeah. you know. So I was like, oh, I was, like, thinking back. Oh, it was a golf tournament. It was for, you know, kids at risk. You know, I was there. Uh, and uh, the guy's like, all right, okay, all right, slow it down. And he just left. And it made me realize... I, I don't do this, but I should talk to Matt about this. When you're driving, like from here to the Bay Area, some keep a couple hats yeah. and keep the municipality of the hat you're passing through, Ventura County or whatever it is. Pop that cap on, man. Sheriff Department, LAPD, <laughs> Southern California Edison. <laughs> right. You get pulled over, and the guy sees the LAPD cap. You have probably. I went from one. I went from 100% you're going to get a ticket to about 10% you're going to get a ticket. I, I On every cop on the force, I'd say 100% to about 10 or 15% just with the hat. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they, they're, they're not going to not see the hat, and they're not going to not say something. And when they do, you just come back with charity. You're mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Well, after this show, you ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good. LAPD hatch sales just skyrocketed yeah. after this episode. Yeah. Tell Matt I'm serious. I need some hats. Yeah. <laughs> Got to figure out, let's see, from here to my house. We need to figure out what the municipalities are from here. <laughs> you need here. a CHP. I and need then a you Glendale, need like, a Glendale. I need a Glendale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We will work it out. You're but I need to have like a UFC fighter just switching hats in every county. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like up on the podium over at the ring. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's the winner's right. hat. Yeah. Had to put the had to put the Trans Am hat on. Had to put yeah. the cool shirt. Where's my cool shirt? Oh, I don't did know. You, you got to take that one home, right? Or do they? No, they. They. I don't know. They. No, they them. hand you a bunch of promises up on the podium, <laughs> and then they take them all back. Oh, they're, they're going to engrave your name in the cool shirt. So we'll <laughs> I don't know. Tell Matt I want to know where my cool shirt is. <laughs> yeah, too. visit the press release. <laughs> I got the cool the, shirt. Yeah. cool pass of the weekend or whatever it is, and uh, was uh, I wasn't even on the track. I was just hitting on some chick by the bathroom. Well, I mean, passes pass. <laughs> yeah, same. We're just standing in the line. I was like, what are you <laughs> nothing which? like getting hit on outside yeah, the Willow Springs like, shitter. <laughs> I was like, yeah, my wife can't stand this stuff, but you evidently love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that got me the cool shirt, cool pass of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some good news on your M3, but I'll tell you about it in a second. All right, I'll tell you first about uh, Amsoil. Ah, why don't you go? Why don't you guys uh, move beyond stock performance? Amsoil synthetic motor oil combines top tier synthetic technology with unique um oh additive sorry that protect up to uh 25,000 miles or one year in between oil changes shields the engine from wear and deposits wear on pistons and cams and uh, leads and uh, it leads to uh, the loss of power so 75 percent more engine protection against horsepower loss and than is required by the industry standard. So, piston cleanliness, 93% above an industry standard, tested in the field and on the track in extreme conditions. You should go to amsoil.com slash carcast for more info. This is really good stuff. They're dedicated and devoted to protection. A-M-S-O-I-L.com forward slash carcast all right so is it the, weird that i love oil i, I love I, talking about oil i love every oil conversation like if there was a tv show you know like every time like gone in 60 seconds is on on tv you just mm-hmm. you can just watch it mm-hmm. i'm that way with an oil conversation I, I it's weird there's like foodies <laughs> i feel like an oiler i like talking about oil i yeah. sort of picture it i like yeah. to smell it yeah mm-hmm. i'm in mm-hmm. i'm in uh-huh. so what do you got on okay, the answer so, so this is what happened is is the car was still running badly. It was in it was in limp mode after all the mechanical stuff we did. So we felt like that was fine, but now it needed to be tuned somehow. So uh, we hooked up with our friend David Jusco, our good engineer friend, guy works at Toyota, super mm-hmm. smart guy. He's got like he tunes all these motors engines. He has like crazy fast Toyota Supras. Right. Right. And uh, we went over to his house and we just opened up the engine compartment, pulled out the ECU, and just found just a mess of wires in there. I'm sure. And I guess when the guy built the motor, he was just like jamming that little metal probe into the wires to find out what's what, and then just pulled the probe out and left the wires. Right. So we found wires like melted together. We found all kinds of just a mess. And what it was creating was all sorts of noise. Like right. this electronic noise, and it and on the ECU, all those wires are very very tiny. So we went through, fixed them all. We pulled like little one pin at a time out of the plugs and wow. cleaned them because there was corrosion on it. Put it back together, runs perfect. Wow. We're gonna we're gonna put it on a dyno to see what kind of numbers it makes and double check air fuel ratios. But all the lights went off. No more limp mode. No more check engine wow. light. We just. <clears throat> Well, thank you and David, by the way, and uh, 
that's it's been a long time in in the making so i'll, I'll be excited to have that car back yeah I really will um, clutch is a little tight. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can take care of that yeah. now. And uh, our friends at Magnafly, I think, are putting an exhaust on it because the thing that's on there now is just this loud, tinny, horrible. It's terrible. Terrible. Uh, so, John, I see here the Alpha 8C Monza. Mm. Right. To me, um, I'm trying to think, but I don't. I'm. I don't like too many pre World War II cars, but that car I like. It's an amazing car. It's it, it somehow. I find it to be the most attractive of that early era as well. But what's uh, tell us what's amazing. That's one of the cars you guys do mm-hmm. as well, right? Well, what's amazing about it is that that is the sort of first stroke of genius of Vittorio Yano, who designed everything for Alpha, starting with um, the AC2300 motor all the way up to, like, the Alpha Julias from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And this guy was just a genius. Um so this is the car that, you know, Tori Bugatti's winning all these races and sets all these Grand Prix championship records with the 1927 Bugatti. This thing comes out in 1930 and just destroys everybody else. And this is the car that didn't let Bugatti ever sort of have a comeback. Mm-hmm. It's also, in a sense, the first Ferrari. This is the first car that ever had the Scuderia prancing horse on it. Right. Um, Enzo Ferrari raced these, and his success doing so helped him start his own brand. So yeah. there's there's a lot of history wrapped up in this. Do uh, what's Is that a straight eight? Straight eight, twin cam, supercharged, 2.3 liter, all aluminum motor, Steve, uh, steel sleeves in the cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, makes 180 horsepower, pretty light car. What's the displacement, sorry? 2.3. On uh, 2.3. So they, yeah. they kept it the same. That's a cool-looking car, though. They kept yeah. it the same as uh, Bugatti, right? He had a two. Yeah. Well, the, the Type 35 was a single overhead cam, and it was a little more primitive. This engine. But um, it's the same displacement. Same displacement, yeah. So it's, a, it's an eight-cylinder mm-hmm. 2.3. So if anyone right. is thinking about that, normally 2.3, about an average size four-cylinder. So mm-hmm. the pistons were half the size. So you get the revs. Uh, do you get a higher RPM in a straight eight than you do in a V8? Um, you know, in both the Bugatti and the Alphas, red lines five and a half. So high at the time. It, high at the time. Yeah. The difference with the Alpha is that um, Bugatti didn't really understand straight eight firing orders. He was kind of early. You know, he started doing this in the early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alpha got the straight eight firing order right, and then uh-huh. he also made the stroke shorter, so there's more bore and less stroke. Where Bugatti went the other way around, so uh-huh. he's got little pistons and like a four and a half inch stroke. Right. So yeah, this but th- this car is amazing. Like, wow. I mean, aluminum block, twin cam, you know, small displacement. Uh, eight cylinders. I mean, this thing is so far ahead of its time. But also, it looked like an like like what the hot rodders were doing in the fifties yeah. and sixties. It had a had a very nice sort of almost American hot rod kind of kind of look to it yeah. with that incredible jewel of a power plant. I just I just love that that power plant. So you'll do these cars as well, right? Yeah, I've got one down in Newport right now. Um, and and we're we're about to ship it to a customer and it's just it's an awesome car. I mean, I love driving all these things, but the the exhaust note, the noise this thing makes when you're going through the gears and you're at about four and a half thousand revs and you're and you're just charging up a hill or something. I mean, it's screaming and it's just a symphony of awesome. <laughs> how many how, are, are you guys? What percentage of them are the alphas that you guys are? Are you starting to do more of those? 
Um, the price point of the Alpha is like double the Bugatti. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bugatti has a lot of, at least in the United States, Bugatti has a lot of like branding panache. You know, people mm-hmm. recognize if there's like a status symbol thing. And so the Bugatti is still our most popular car. Um, Alpha, at least in this country, I don't think people understand and appreciate it for all it really is as far as a brand. And so it's it's the real like car geek that wants this thing, that, that really gets it. Um, you know, they, they only built 10 originally in period. Um, but, you know, we, we sell, I'd say, for every um, five type 35s we sell, we do one of these. So, and also, I you know, Alpha's getting back here in the United States. They're making a charge for it. I would... Uh, I would predict that if you come back here five years from now, that it would be a higher percentage of these cars. Mm. I, I think uh, I think that's where it's gonna. I think that's where it's heading. But really cool. They're both really yeah. cool pieces. I I just love that Alpha's insane. And also, uh, you talk about tooling and 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 R and D and so on and so forth. I imagine the price will drop if if and you guys can do more and more of them, right? Um, you know, th- there are a lot of factors that go into price. Um, I've been asked that before, you know, Hey, I, I want to buy two cars. Can I get a discount? And it's like, well, when you're making everything by hand and the guys clock in every, every morning and clock out every night, you know, it's the same amount of hours that you add up in the end. So, um, there's, there's nothing we can really streamline in a lot right. of ways. I mean, you, you can do like, okay, we're going to, we're going to use CNC machines to machine all the parts, but all the assembly is still 100% by hand. The bodies are still done by hand on an English wheel. Um, the chassis are still, you know, done like 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 by basically blacksmith techniques and you know hot riveted together like they were. So um, I, I don't I don't really know about whether the prices will drop if there's more volume. I'm not sure that is the work is uh, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a is there a reason why there than other uh, parts of Europe or here mm. or anything else? Yeah, that's a great question. Argentina in Oh, what did I say? Tina? Tina, sorry. In the I'm in trouble the, today. <laughs> in the twenties and thirties, Argentina was like um the Dubai of the world today or Monaco or whatever. You know, you mm-hmm. have you have uh the, the rest of the world is wrapped up in war. All the really wealthy people, the aristocrats in Europe, are relocating. And one of the main places they went was Buenos Aires, and they took their, their lifestyle with them. Uh, and with that was vintage racing. So you had back in in the historical period all of these cars there. And you, know, you, you didn't have international flights back then. So if you needed a new supercharger for your Monza in 1935, you're going to probably be waiting like six months. And so way back then – they just figured out how to be really self-sufficient and resourceful. So the sort of skills that we would call today lost arts were, you know, not only planted there back in the period and it sort of became a thing, but they haven't gone out of fashion. Um, Argentina, n- not as bad as Cuba, but kind of, you know, for political reasons, locked in one of these kind of time capsule type cultures where it's like in the 1930s, everybody could do this kind of thing. And whereas in Europe, everybody's forgotten in Argentina, it's still like, the norm so you can find panel beaters you can find uh machinists you can find people that do all that stuff so that's why we're there yeah. is the alpha and the bugatti the, the the only cars you make now or do you make more uh we we do like 25 cars total we do a whole but style a car though like the yeah well we like as far as makes we would do Al- uh, bugatti alpha mercedes maserati bmw and then custom projects 
You like a lot of cars. Uh, <laughs> any interest in uh, like a birdcage Maserati? Um, yeah, we, we've talked to people about those before. Um, I've I've supplied a couple of those to guys. There's somebody in the UK that does a really good birdcage replica. And whenever I've gotten to somebody who's serious about buying one, we end up doing the numbers, and I'm like, hey. Why don't you just buy it from this guy? This is the only thing he does. He's a pro at it. It's going to be the same if we do it. And, you know, so with post-war stuff right now, the only car that we're really good at that we're doing or that we're doing, period, is the Maserati A6 GCS. So we're doing the uh, PF Coupe and the Barchetta. Wait, show me that car, Chris Max Pata. What year is that, sir? That would be like a 58. Okay, I think I like that car. Geico, but I gotta, I gotta see. Geico, man, ah, save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance. Super easy, man. Just go to geico.com. Fifteen minutes, you could be saving fifteen percent or more on your car insurance. Put a little extra money in your pocket. Again, you got stuff to do, and sometimes you got to leave the house, go pick stuff up, bring in the dog, put out the cat, all that stuff. But this is a way to save hundreds of dollars for just going on the internet for a few minutes. So go to Geico. Dot com. Spend a few minutes and see just how much you could be saving on your auto insurance. All right, Max Pad, do we know which uh, Maserati? Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, it's Maserati. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm having trouble finding it. Still looking for it? All right, before you do that. Oh, before you do that. Uh, I'm going to tell you about Casper Mattresses. Ooh. An obsessively mm-hmm. engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. These are latex and memory foam. Create Ooh. just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce. Nice. These are a risk-free and return and a great return policy. You can try Casper for a hundred nights. There's free shipping, painless returns. The Casper is the most awarded mattress of the decade. I don't I don't know where the mattress awards come from, but this well, is they the don't put your name. They don't, <laughs> they don't put your name, name on it. That much no. I figured out. Uh, you get a twin for five hundred bucks. You can get a California King for nine hundred and fifty bucks. And a special offer right now is fifty dollar towards any mattress purchase. By visiting caspertrial.com slash Corolla and entering the, co- the coupon code 50SLEEP. That's 50SLEEP. Terms and conditions apply. That is Casper, man. They're yeah. simply the best. I sleep on one every night. Do you? I love it. Oh. Ah, i got to get me one of these. I need get a bigger a apartment first. <laughs> All right. Oh, are we looking at it? Yeah, yeah that's the coupe. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That is, that is a beautiful, beautiful car. I saw... A special, I can't remember who it was. It was, it was probably Bruce Meyer or somebody, but there was a special a million years ago. I just saw it on, like, I don't know, Velocity Channel, Motor Channel, Speed Channel, like whatever it was. But I think there was a double bubble, mm. one of those that was like bricked in and some yeah. little off some little alley in Italy. And they literally like built a brick wall and like bricked it into the into the garage and they pulled that double bubble out and it was just such a sexy beautiful beautiful car yeah. uh so what you want to do if you want to know about uh persang is uh you go to their website p-u-r-s-a-n-g dot u-s right yeah persang.us or to tell you the truth if you want to see uh regularly updated photos of the projects we're doing check us out on social media either facebook or instagram uh persang argentina uh, thanks, John. Uh, our movie, The 24-Hour War and The Bug uh, and all the stuff, you can get at chassis.com, T-shirts and whatever you want available right there. You can hear me and uh, Dennis Prager at No Safe Spaces and enjoy that at uh, iTunes and Amazon and all that. It's just four ninety nine to get like 100 minutes worth of listening pleasure. Support the show, carcastshow.com. 
click through our Amazon banner. And then uh, Corolla Drinks, say hi there. Shift and Steer, you can go yeah. and uh, check out Matt over there at uh, Podcast One and over here as well. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, this is uh, Adam Corolla for John Bothwell and Matt, the moderator to Andrea, saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCast Show.